0: I'm in a weird position on this one, similar to another game that I'll be looking at next uh, next week or next next week because I'm still figuring out my schedule on this one, I can't ruminate on this in my normal style. Normally when I ruminate on something I do so with three general mindsets. The out of character behind the scenes, which I sometimes don't have a lot to talk about because I don't have information. But, you know, that's the first mindset. Second mindset is the actual gameplay and the functionality of the design and the approach to that. And the third is the story. But when I say the story, I mean as if from an in-character perspective. In other words, I speculate on character motives and settings and backstories and comment on thoughts or give my own theories and my own interpretations or feelings or thoughts or whatever. I can't do that with a parody game. There's no setting to speak of because it's not cohesive. It's a parody game. It'd be like trying to do a serious analysis of airplane. You can't do that because then you have to explain things like well, how did an entire line of people line up to, to smack sense into a woman? Right? Like, where did that line come from and how did they get all that stuff onto that airplane? It doesn't make logical sense because it's not supposed to. It's a joke. And you see my problem. So I look at that, and all I could say to ruminate on that was, eh, okay. I didn't think it was that funny, but whatever. And that's all I got! So, I was really torn on this one. Now, don't mistake that for complaining. It was actually a treat to be able to play this game again. I actually played the special edition for this particular one, although I did uh, bring up the old original and play around with that for a bit for contrast. Contrast. And I've never actually played the special edition, so it was kind of a treat to be able to go through that. And I sorely needed this after Last of Us made me realize that life is meaningless and I should just jump off a cliff. So having Monkey Island to, to, you know, recover from that was a nice touch. This is probably one of the most severe examples of Princess Bride Effect I've ever seen. If you're watching this video and have continued to watch this video about to this point, you probably like The Secret of Monkey Island, right? I'd say that's reasonable. And it is a nearly universally acclaimed game. Didn't sell all that well when it came out. That is Princess Bride Effect in a nutshell. Although, as of this moment, I don't actually have the Loreum up for that and I need to. I should have been. I'm not sure why it isn't. But anyways, the whole idea being, you know, well, here's something that when it came out didn't sell particularly well, didn't do particularly well. And then it comes out and then some time passes and people get a hold of it and they're like, oh my god, this is some amazing thing. Now, that's not too surprising, because whether or not something sells well isn't really dependent on the quality of the product, whether it be a movie or a game or a book or whatever. What really matters is how many people it can reach and how many of those people are in a position to spend money on it. That's what determines its success, not the quality. There's a reason why the Transformers films are some of the highest-grossing films of all time. Not the highest, but you you get my point. They're, They're up there. So, having said that, It makes perfect sense that over time, as more people and and the overall net of people who get exposed to a work grows and expands, more people are like, oh, Princess Bride was amazing, because Princess Bride was a really good film. Just like this is a really good game. Which brings me to my first comment. I feel like this game is unique in the fact that it basically codified its own subgenre of adventure point-and-click games this is pure theory but based on the evidence i i believe this with total certainty this is not just eh maybe no i think this is actually what happened because up until this point in time adventure games were a little bit different they existed of course in fact there there was already a fairly strong market for adventure gaming in the pc market it was one of the biggest things that pc games were used for uh, as i should say one of the biggest things that PC gaming was using at the time was point-and-click adventure games. Lord knows the Sierra games were extremely widespread and popular, even, even before this game was made. And LucasArts was already kind of doing their things, although I don't think they were actually called LucasArts at this point in time. I think it was Lucasfilm Games, but I, whatever, you get my point. They were already doing their thing. I mean, Ma- uh, Maniac Mansion came up before this, for example. But this game used a different philosophy when it came to point-click adventure games, um, something that had been tried before but never really codified. And that philosophy is not punishing the player. And that sounds so simple. But it completely changes the dynamic of the game. I've talked many times from a game design perspective of what you have to do with regards to consequence of failure. That's what I call it. Consequence of failure. And, you know, some games have lives where you go back to the beginning of a stage or you go back to the last checkpoint. Or maybe sometimes you start the whole game over, right? All of these things, you lose some health. These are all consequences of failure. And in most point-and-click adventure games up to this point in time, the consequence of failure was you die. You die and then you go back, and then you die, and then you go back, and that was it. And it made a standard of adventure games where there was the one path to victory, and that's it. You, it, was, it was aggressively linear. Now, of course, any point-and-click adventure game is going to be linear to some extent or another because you need X to do Y to do Z. But this game really got forth the idea of encouraging the player to explore, that they do need X to get to Y to get to Z, but they don't have to get X first. They could go hang out with Z first and learn about X through Z. Or they could go roam around and find B, which is needed for the C puzzle later on, and so forth and so on. They had a lot of... Because they removed that penalty, that aggressive, ah, you die, for doing anything wrong, instead, the player is more encouraged to roam and say, okay, well, what's over here? Oh, well, what's over here? And the result is, with a game like Secret of Monkey Island and all of the ones that followed it, you get the idea of, okay, first you kind of, it's, it's almost Metroidy actually, because first you roam around, figure out all of the things you can interact with, all the characters, all the items, and all of the terrain stuff. So, like, okay, there's a locked door here, there's three people here, this person's talking about such-and-such, such, this person needs such-and-such, and, such, and I found such-and-such such over here. So you do, like, a sweep of everything you can you can access, and it's like, aha, okay, now I have an idea of what I want to do next. I go get this, I go over here. To me, that was a more interesting approach to the point-and-click adventure game. I can say without hesitation that this exact game is what actually made me really start to enjoy the point-and-click adventure genre. No, seriously, when this game first came out back in... It was a long time ago. I don't remember the date. It was like late 80s, early 90s. I can't remember the exact year. But I had been playing adventure games before this. I'd played Maniac Mansion. I had played several of the King's Quests or whatever it was at the time. I don't actually remember titles, to be completely honest with you, because I didn't look that up for this. But I had been playing adventure games up to this point in time, and because that was what I had, it was that and like puzzle games and a couple of other things, nothing really uh, it, you know, awesome. And then I played this one. I was like, oh, this is so great. And I just remember sitting down and be like, ah, oh, and I'd go ahead and make fun. I had a little notepad, a uh, piece of paper right by me. And I was like, okay, I found a guy. He needs money. Okay, he. this guy, you know, he needs the the bananas or whatever, right? And I would just jot down ideas, and then I would, like, connect points between them where I thought the puzzle solutions were. And this began a a very relatively brief but very awesome love affair with Point-and-Click Adventure Games, with this game and many others in the next ten or so years. And then it kind of fell out as Point-and-Click Adventure Games kind of went away. I think that that combination of encouraging the player to explore... The generally high quality of the game itself and this severe comedic tone of it, basically co- coincided to start this new era of adventure games. Even though it wasn't that financially successful, it proved the viability of the format of the subgenre, and thus you know Lucasarts kind of really started taking off. We got Indiana Jones and Atlantis was another big one back in the day. I really enjoyed, um, and. Hell, the Star Trek ones. I love the Star Trek ones. Judgment Rights, 25th Anniversary. I don't remember where those land relative to this, but you get the idea. All of those kind of games, in my opinion, based on the evidence, really were allowed to flourish because of this one, which I suppose is why so many people you know, praise it so much. Now, having gone back through it, I have to admit... It does deserve that praise still. I'm sorry, I I, I wanted to hold out for you a second. Well, this is not exactly my favorite adventure game, and its age certainly shows, even in the Special Edition, there's still a lot of legitimately funny, witty, and engaging parts to this game, which I want to talk about with you briefly here. Um, I do want to talk about my complaints with it first. Now, this is more specifically for the Special Edition than anything else. I liked the voice acting. That's not a complaint. In fact, I feel like they nailed the voice acting for the most part. There was one problem, though. If you've ever played an adventure game, you know text has a certain rhythm to it. Like dialogue, right? has a certain rhythm to when it will show up in the course of the gameplay. And that's because it's just text on a screen, and whoever's designing that and the timing for that script has to presume how long it takes you to read that. And then they usually add a couple seconds after that. So there's, you know what I'm talking about, I bet. If you've played any of the older adventure games, there's this sort of... And there's a noticeable beat in between each line of dialogue, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense that someone saying that out loud would have that beat. They kept those beats for the special edition, but their voice acted. And so it's like saying, Hi, how are you doing? Today. I feel like, you know, I'm exaggerating slightly, but it it did feel off, and it kind of got to me on several scenes. I also have to admit that and I know this is gonna sound weird, but I actually like the original music better. The now, obviously, in the special edition, you could just hit a button and go into original mode, which is awesome, by the way, uh, that they have that as a feature. But I preferred the original music to the new remixed one. Shrug. <laughs> I also, and this is going to sound weird, I like the inventory of the original better, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but I found the inventory to be just just the tiniest bit clunky in the new version. Like, it's not some huge hassle, but it kept being like, okay, hang on, no, 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 drag, drag this, there we go, there we go, okay. Instead of just done, like I could in the original. And... Uh, I... I I both liked and disliked the new graphics. Ultimately, I would say that I just think they look different. It's hard for me to compare their quality compared to the original. Granted, I'm a fan of good sprite work. But the truth is, the old sprite work is not the best. Except in a few cases. They did some good stuff with certain areas, and I think it showed for certain areas. The special edition just looks like any other adventure game, so it doesn't doesn't quite shine as much for me. So I can't really compare that in terms of quality. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. I, I have very few notes on this game, like I mentioned earlier. Let's talk about the fact that I forgot to mute my phone. Let's talk about some other things first. Let's talk about Elaine. I found it hysterical that the first time you meet Elaine, your overall reaction is, Girl! Girl! Because that that's just exactly what's going through your brain at the time. Or rather, going through... Uh, Guybrush's brain. God, he such a weird name. <laughs> Threepwood's brain. And I can't decide if... Th- what specific joke they were going for when the second time they meet ever, they just fall madly in love within seconds. <laughs> like, that's obviously a joke. And the entire game's a joke to some extent or another, but it's like, what? <laughs> and it's not just... like The, be- the joke I pulled from it... Maybe this is a bit just because I analyze Star Trek on a weekly basis. Is making fun of the romance of the week? Hi, I'm male. Hi, I'm female. We should be in love, da, 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 da. right? I mean, how many times have you seen that in a show, or a game, or a movie, or a book, where there's just a love interest? Because there has to be, right? And obviously, it doesn't have to be different genders, but you get the point. It's it's this same forced thing. It's like here, have love interest go. <laughs> Because to be blunt, Elaine and uh, Guybrush have no no chemistry whatsoever. But again, I can't really comment on that because it's a parody game, so I can't analyze the characters. What do I say about Guybrush? He's a dude who's kind of weird, but he's mostly just kind of there, except when he's not. And he goes with the jokes, except when he doesn't. You get my point. I, I can't analyze a character like that. What I can say, what I can say is I love. Absolutely adore the sword fighting combat. In fact, if anything, I wish there was more of it. I love that concept. Rather than having sword fighting being, you know, like a an action RPG thing or a button press or a command input or whatever, it's I mean, it's technically command input, but it's all about the quips you say. I love that. That's a great idea. They even visualize your health bars, or rather, who's winning, because like you've got your two combatants. And as you're fighting, you, the fight will drift in the direction of, well, uh, in the direction of whoever's losing as you're being pushed back, in other words, is the idea. And that was just such an awesome idea. And it only really came up a few times. I was like, no, I want more of that because it's so cool. You even get to learn quips as they're used against you. And then you can then use them in the future against other similar quips. It was a great system. And it's something that I wanted to see more fleshed out and more developed uh, going forward. I also uh really like the act structure. Oh, I do want to I do want to have one complaint about that. I forgot about this. It did get a little bit grindy. Maybe this is just my experience. Obviously, I didn't have any cheats for this. I mean, how do you cheat on a game like this? Um but I did have a few issues where it felt a little bit grindy getting all of the quips and quip rejoinders that I needed in order to go fight the Swordmaster. Like, that, that took a while.
1: Not a huge
0: while. I only had to fight the one pirate dude, like, eight times, something like that. But still, it was just fight the pirate dude eight times. And, all right, come on. You know, maybe I missed something there. I don't know. But what I do know is that I like the act structure of the game because the first act is basically, alright, here's how the gameplay works, here's how the structure of the game works. You've got the three trials, right? So you have to go solve puzzles, you have to interact with NPCs, you have to be able to remember stuff for later, and you have to learn how to quip, and all the other fun little things that are part of the gameplay. You also have to learn the layout of the island, more or less by consequence, and get get to know where everyone is, and kind of get an idea for where the puzzles are going to be in the second act, where it's like, alright, now you've learned all this stuff now you've got to go and actually apply it can you do that and that was the second act which i enjoyed uh, greatly and immensely and i also want to comment on LeChuck. he's the only character i have anything to say on because lechuk is the straight man no i don't mean with regards to his preference regarding gender i mean he's the straight man in a joke he, one of the things that some comedians tend to forget is that if you're going to have a lot of people joking on set, you need someone for them to bounce those jokes off of. You need the straight man. Because everyone else is like, oh my god... You know, oh, you have got to do this weird and crazy thing. And you have to have someone who acts relatively normal, who follows legitimate logic, who thinks of things in a linear and standard method so that those jokes can bounce off of that person and they can react to them. And that reaction helps to sell the joke. Now, Lechuk isn't a perfect straight man because he certainly is not above joking himself, but I felt he was probably the most sincere individual, the most realistic, that's the wrong word, um, the most non-humorous character in the piece, which of course is helped by his voice actor, uh, which I jotted down his name, Earl Bowen, who is awesome. Every time he does voice acting work for a game, he is fantastic. Uh, I will probably forever remember him most as Thuridon because he does a wonderful job of that. But anyways, he helps add that extra flavor to this, I am the great pirate King LeChuck. you know. I, I couldn't do that. Um, so... I'm kind of out of most of the stuff I would normally say when it comes to a work like this. talked about the making of, I've talked about the game, and I've talked about the story. And at a glance, I'm at about 17 minutes here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to discuss the types of humor, and then I'm going to pause. See, uh, I'll, let's talk about the sense types of humor, and then I'll explain why I'm pausing. Right towards the beginning, there's a bit where you go into the bar. And you can talk to several people, but the person you end up talking to, or at least you're directed to... There's two, actually. There's And I wrote down his name, Mancomb (laughs) Seepgood. And there's the dog. That sets the tone of the game right there at the beginning. This is a humorous game. If, If for whatever reason you didn't get it, those first two interactions... It's actually more like the third and fourth interaction of the game. But those very early interactions help establish the tone of the work. They also helped to showcase some of the types of humor. One of the things they did that that I feel was very very smart was they had different writers working on different bits of dialogue and different chunks of the story. It shows in many ways because uh, by my count, one, two, three, four, five, six, they had six types of humor that they were using roughly, of course, throughout the course of the work. And I jotted down one of my favorite examples of each as we went through here. For example, uh, the ridiculous is normal. Uh, there's probably more proper terms for these. I'm not a, ri- a humoritician, But the ridiculous is normal. I have two examples of that. Not counting, of course. You know, the the dog. And that would be, you go to the mansion, and the, and then he's like, oh, I'm going to get you. Oh, crap. And then you go behind the wall, and all this, oh, my God. Crash. And you have to distract the clown with the, conf- you have to put the, the paper under the shredder and distract the clown with it and, That's ridiculous, but everyone treats that as if it's completely ordinary, usually referred to as non-sequitur humor, although that's a slightly different thing. I believe this is more of a subset of that. Then you've got the presentation-slash-timing humor. This is the hardest one to explain, although it's also one of my personal favorite types of humor. When you do something, and what you're saying, like if you just divorce the presentation of the joke, or the or the humor, or whatever, from the presentation of it, all you're reading is text on a page, it's not funny. It's like, you know, this and this and that, and then this. Okay. What makes it funny is the combination of presentation and timing. Comedic timing is a very, very important trait and very hard to properly explain, but knowing exactly when to lean in and just be like, that... And even though what you're saying isn't that funny, just the presentation of that timing makes it funny. Um, probably one of my favorite examples of this is actually two. One is the upside-down text after you're shot out of the cannon, which is presentation humor. Because it's just, and then he spoke upside-down. That isn't funny in its own right. But within the context, it makes sense and works with the joke. The other one, though, and this is a better example of timing joke. Oh, I better dig at this cross. Ch- hours pass. Eh, yeah, I found a shirt. Okay, that's kind of cool. Well, I guess I should put this dirt back. More hours pass. See, the, that second point is the timing. and the Because, and, again, that's not just funny by its own right. It's its execution that makes it funny. And then you've got the most obvious one, and the one that most people probably think of most when they think of the humor of this game, Breaking the Fourth Wall. There's examples of that everywhere. My two favorite are... Wow, oh, these flowers are unusually yellow. And uh, if you actually do the 10-minute death, which I didn't. I decided to look that up on YouTube because I didn't feel like spending 10 minutes waiting on that. But if you end up end up dying, in addition to your you know your actual the menu changes to like bloop bloop and of course order hint book because apparently I also do have to admit there's some uh, dramatic irony. Uh, expectation humor is what I usually call that expectation humor is when you are led into a specific direction and that's not what's true at all there's two examples of that one of which I just reminded myself of hey I'm gonna go toss this knife into the water you sure you you might need it nah it'll just well what if it flows down there and they just argue this for a while and he's like nah I'm just gonna toss it down and of course you the player sitting like come on toss the thing so I can cut the rope yeah I'm gonna keep it anyways and then he walks off and that's the joke the, you know, you were led into an expectation, and then it was uh, subverted. My actual favorite version of that, though, is much earlier on. Are you guys some pirates? No, no, we're not pirates. We're circus travelers. Yeah, the rat scared off the elephant. do do doodly, 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 So, yeah, there's not a lot of money in pirating right now, but uh, we were trying to get into the circus work. It was working out really well until the rat scared off the elephant. Dumbumbtch. Which brings me to the final point of humor. Bad jokes. Now, as weird as this may sound, bad jokes have a very important thing. This, this sounds so dry and Vulcan, but there is a formulaic purpose behind bad jokes in a humorous work. You have to pepper them very, very infrequently. You have to make sure you just toss them in. And they have to be deliberately bad jokes, because obviously any joke can be bad to someone. You know, humor is subjective. But you put in a deliberately bad joke, usually in the form of a pun, to just have a kind of a ugh, and to serve as a contrast for the rest of the humor. My personally favorite example of that is, oh, my least favorite kind of piracy is cons piracy." <laughs> yeah, bad jokes. And that's all I got. In many ways, I feel this game was the Final Fantasy IV of the genre, or the sub-genre, rather. That, while there certainly were games, you know, RPGs before FF4, FF4 is what really started making RPGs great and really started expanding what they could be done, and all of the truly amazing RPGs came out of it. Similar thing with this. It's certainly still a good game, just like I still enjoy FF4, I still enjoy Secret Monkey Island. I did enjoy going through this. But now I want to explain why I'm pausing. Because I have a choice here. And I'm actually not going to decide this right now. Uh, Looks like this is about a 20-minute rumination, so I may just slide this in two. But the problem is, the request was for Secret of Monkey Island 1 and 2. I haven't played 2 in a long time, and I don't know if I'm going to have anything to say about it, especially since I said so much about this one. So to hedge my bets, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and off here, just in case I decide that I'm going to make two into a separate video. But if I only have a few minutes to talk about two, then we're going to do a little editing trickery. And I'm going to slide two in here. So, one way or another, I will see you guys next time. Hi, guys. Uh, it's been a little bit, but I have decided after some thought, I'm probably going to go in and fix this to the previous video. So, let's talk about the second game. The the, the incredibly horrible death of all things game. You know, Revenge of LeChuck. Um, this is a weird game to talk about for me, because my first gut reaction was, oh, this is so much better than the first game. And then I got further into it, and then I got further into it, and that opinion just slowly seeped out of me. It did a lot of things right. First of all... Uh, the iMuse thing, um, in the special edition, let me just say really quick, if you haven't picked up the special edition, I think it's worth it alone for the director's commentary. I've decided not to really cover too much of that because it's fairly self-explanatory. It, you can just go ahead and watch that yourself if you want to. It's good stuff. You just you hit A and bzz, director's commentary. Um, but anyways, so that's awesome. The iMuse thing is an excellent way of approaching Yoshi drums. For those of you not aware of what Yoshi drums is, it's when the same song is playing, but different bits or layers are being added to or removed from it based on the location or the circumstances within the game. It's a very specific type of music design, which actually isn't done all that often, which is why I don't refer to it that much. But they do it here, and they do it very well. They had an easy mode, which I don't quite understand, the light mode. It just removes some puzzles and removes some characters. Like, Kate isn't in it at all. And uh, you can avoid certain things, but you also can't, like, make up for certain things. It's just weird. The verb design is a lot better, in my opinion. Uh, it's much tighter and more concrete and just generally better... Uh, Fleshed out. The UI is great. I I much prefer the UI of this game to the first game, even with regards to the special edition. So that was a definite push up. And they were more inclined to different types of humor. This is where it gets kind of weird for me, because this game feels like it has a completely different tone than the first game. And it's hard for me to really put a finger on how exactly. It feels... It feels more like a 90s game. I know that sounds like a weird statement. But there's a lot more uh, referential humor, for example. Two of my favorite examples of that are pretty much copy-pasting the Empire Strikes Back climax scene with uh, LeChuck and Guybrush. But also... Dun-dun-dun-dun! <gasps> right? You know. Little references like that are all over the place. You can literally call the LucasArts helpline at one point to figure out what's going on. Um, there's several scenes which feel, how do I put this? It feels like they were going more for a slightly older audience, but I don't mean that in like... because it's not like the first game was childish, right? It's not like it was a game made for kids. But it feels like the the approach to their, uh, their jokes and their humor in the first game was far more tightly focused, whereas this feels it's specifically focused on a young adult uh, demographic. You know... <laughs> It's, a, it's impolite to stare at a woman's chest. You know? and, and then there was a weirdly larger amount of violence and a strangely far more straightforward LeChuck. In fact, I found LeChuck to be far less interesting and less funny of a character in this, with two notable exceptions. One being the Star Wars reference, and the other being his Rube Goldberg I'm-going-to-kill-you device, which did admittedly make me laugh. I also liked, speaking of the Rube Goldberg device, you can just sit there and let it go off, and then, you know, Elaine's like, hang on. You, you, no. (laughs) You're telling me this story, obviously it survived. All right, sorry. I kind of wish they'd done more with that, using the narration tool as a gameplay mechanic for, like, reloading states or whatever. They did that a couple of times, but I wish they'd done more with that. Anyways, and there's also the fact that you're more of a dick in this game. You notice that? Like, there's a lot of times where Guybrush does things that are just kind of mean, without any real purpose to them, other than, you know, obviously being able to advance throughout the game. You can make up for some of those, although not in the light version. But I felt that that tonal shift pushed it away from what I would enjoy more. No judgment if you happen to like this game better than the first one or better than the other ones, but while I did enjoy a lot of the improvements, I found myself thinking, hmm a lot of times. And I found myself not laughing a lot of times. And that probably sounds like a, okay, why is that a big deal? In my personal experience, one of the worst things you can do when when watching or playing a comedic work is to not laugh. Because it's not just like your enjoyment is at zero. Your enjoyment slips down into the negatives because it's like, okay, so this isn't funny, right? <sighs> um, I do like the fact that they... They paid attention uh, from a a game design perspective to a lot of things a lot better. I've already mentioned several of those. One other example of this is the Wanted poster, which just grows and grows and grows the further I got in the game. I thought about writing down the whole thing, but then I realized that would be insane. So I just like the fact that they're keeping track as you're going through the whole game. Um, I also uh, really don't like the Skeleton song puzzle i'm just gonna say that really quick and i guess that's all i have to say i I know that's that's terrible they were using the same general style of humor with the exception of the they used brick joke they used direct parody and they used uh the narration joke those are the two the three new types of humor they used in this game but otherwise i don't have much to say about it by the way brick joke i should explain the brick joke really quick There's this wonderful bit which is brilliantly voice acted. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Well, a woodchuck wouldn't chuck wood because I'm not going to do the whole thing for you. But they go through that whole spiel, and finally the guy's like, "Shut up!" Fast forward a little bit. Hey guy, uh, you know, hey Lechuck, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck? chuck If wood five chords. That's a brick joke. (laughs) It only works if you if you establish it earlier and then have a beat before you get to it. I still enjoyed the second game. I don't think I'd ever replay it after this. Not counting for the director's commentary, which was awesome. Um, I guess that's all I've got. So this is the real end to the Monkey Island rumination. I hope you've enjoyed. I will see you guys next time.